0: Uh, good morning again for those of you who came in while we were singing together my name is david uh, i 'm on staff here It is my pleasure to welcome you this morning if you've noticed in your bulletin there's a lot of empty space on that one particular sheet uh, for prayer and for being connected uh, but in the middle of our, our time together every Sunday we take time to pray uh, with a specific focus and so this week 's focus for prayer is the uh, creative arts ministries which is what i 'm responsible for and so I would definitely covet your prayers. (laughs) Uh, Part of what I do is is work with volunteers. And so there are about 25 folks and their families who are connected to the Creative Arts Ministry currently. Um, They rotate in on different places, some in front of the scenes, if you will, and some behind the scenes. Um, And I'm grateful for all of them. Whether you see them or not, they provide vitally important service at To singing the gospel together, to hearing the gospel preached clearly. Um, And then uh, we have a desire to continue to grow in other ministries of creative arts, whether it be visual art or uh, dramatic arts. And so there are lots of opportunities to serve as well. But this morning, we want to pray specifically. It's kind of selfish of me, I guess, when I lead this, but pray for me (laughs) that as I direct creative arts ministries, that I would do it in a way that that points to Jesus in everything that we do, uh, that I would continue to decrease so that he might increase. Uh, Pray for me that I would encourage and build up all the volunteers that serve um, and not tear them down or distract them or frustrate them. Hopefully none of them are nodding in in agreement there. Uh, But also, uh, you know, pray for Brad and I as we interact on uh, the songs for our our canon, uh, if if you will, Uh, since we don't regularly pull out our hymnals Um, Our hymnal is on the screen. That's a heavy, weighty responsibility that I think about a lot. And so as Brad and the elders and I interact on what songs we should sing uh, to proclaim the excellencies of God, uh, pray for wisdom and discernment in that. Um, Pray for all those volunteers that I mentioned. Uh, A lot of them serve once a month, and that's a stretch. Even that, because of the fullness of life, the busyness of having children or having a full-time job that requires a long commute or maybe both, Uh, in Ryan's case especially. So pray for our volunteers with the weight they bear as they still seek to serve and honor the Lord Uh, because the Holy Spirit has gifted every single one of us who gather as Grace Community Church to serve one another. The Spirit has gifted you to serve the church, to build up the church. And so there are opportunities for you to serve, to do that. Whether it be in creative arts or not, please pray for those who are currently serving And then pray that God would uh, raise up those to fill the other needs that we continually have. Uh, We have needs in our AV team uh, to add some more into the rotation for running sound or working with the computer. We have needs constantly for musicians who are gifted by the Lord and whose spirits are directed at Jesus uh, to help serve. And so please consider praying about your service in that way, but also especially pray for those who are serving. So we're going to take a few moments to be silent before the Lord. Uh, and pray for the other list of things as well that's underneath that in your bulletin, uh, and the things that go out through the city um, on the cor- through the course of a week. There's a lot of things that continue to happen in the life of our church family, and we want to pray for one another uh, without ceasing even as we seek to do that. And so uh, let's pray silently for a few moments, and then I'll close. Let's pray. God, thank you for a few moments to be still. For some of us, this might be the first silence we've had all week. We recognize that you've told us to be still and know that you are God. We recognize that in silence, uh, sometimes that helps us to hear you. And we want to hear from you this morning. As we continue to fellowship together, as the word is preached, we want to hear from you. God, we lift up those who serve in Creative Arts Ministries, for those who are diligently working through the course of a month and week to week, in some cases, to labor at their art, at their craft of uh, playing an instrument, or who are working diligently to iron out all of the technological kinks so that we might worship without distraction on Sunday mornings. We pray that you would bless them and their families uh, as they choose how to spend their time, as they... Find ways to serve, but also be responsible for uh, their primary ministry to their families. Uh, we pray for some to step up to to hear you calling them to serve in these ways, and pray that they might respond uh, in confidence that you have gifted and will equip for whatever you call to. yeah, we pray for uh, the whole uh, Boise Creek community as it changes shape in some ways over the next this week and next week, we pray for these transitions for those that we helped to move in yesterday. Uh, that uh, the young women in particular that we got to meet on our side of campus, we pray that they would uh, meet their roommates and RAs. That they would uh, choose to be involved in local churches and in ways to grow spiritually, even as they grow intellectually uh, at college. We pray for the faculty and staff who are ready to make their syllabus come alive in the classroom. Pray that they would be uh, unashamed of the gospel and the ways that they can proclaim it, but that they would also be confident in the content that you've given them to teach. Pray that their students would be receptive uh, to all the things they are there to learn. Uh, We thank you that we have the opportunity and privilege to be in this community and help us to find other ways that we might serve uh, and proclaim the gospel through service and through word and deed. Now, we pray that you would take uh, these offerings that we give and build your kingdom, that, that you would uh, magnify Jesus in our giving, uh, as we recognize that you own everything in the first place, and all that you've given to us is a gift. And We love you so much and are thankful for the opportunity to gather as a family on Sundays. And to sing and to pray and to hear the word taught. Help us to respond to it throughout the week. And uh, thank you that you walk with us the whole time, whether we're mindful of it or not. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and know that you hear us. Amen.
1: Good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. If this is your first time here, we extend you a special welcome, but no matter how many times you've been here, we are. Glad that you were here. I, I want to bring special attention to uh, the, the flyer that was in your bulletin. Uh, this fall, starting on September uh, 16th, on a Wednesday night, we're going to be beginning a series that will last for the 10 months of this school year for married couples called Marriage Matters. We're going to be using curriculum, but one of the primary reasons we want to get together is for couples of all ages to just know that you're not the only one that finds marriage sometimes a challenge. We are called to represent Jesus in our marriage. and We have to find ways of working through the difficult times. And so older, younger, middle-aged, doesn't matter what age, we want to gather together once a month on Wednesday nights beginning in September 16th. And we need to know if you plan to come. So... Sign up here. You can drop this on the coffee table in the welcome room if you would like to. uh, Or just wait and sign up over the next week. You may need to talk about it. Child care will be provided. And hopefully you will agree that marriage does indeed matter. And gather to help uh, work through some of the matters that come up in marriage. I, I recognize that many of you have never had any problems in your marriage, never any fusses, never any disagreements. Um, Actually, that that would be a good segue to the introduction. Uh, Is there anyone here that... Just loves the old Farside cartoons. Who are the Farside fans? Okay, I'm watching out for you. You are the strange ones in the group. If you're young enough that you've never even heard of the Farside cartoons, you are in for... You're in for a treat when you discover the warped mind of Gary Larson. I mean, his stuff is great. One of the more well-known... Uh, side cartoons is the, is the genius kid who's trying to push his way into a door for the Midvale School for the Gifted that obviously is marked pull. As funny as that is, it doesn't make my top 25 all-time favorites. It's just one of those that's really well, closely associated with Gary Larson. One that does make my top 25 is the this group of penguins, colony of penguins, they're all hundreds of penguins together, and there's one penguin saying, I've got to be me, i just got to be me. That's an old song for those of you who are younger. I'm afraid even the old ones didn't recognize it, though. Just trust me, it was a song. But here is a penguin, Wanting to be distinguished from the pack, but you notice where he is, right in the middle. Doesn't make his way to the side. He wants to be noticed, but he still wants to be part of the group. Which sounds an awful like a lot of people I know, including the guy that I look at in the mirror, every morning. Over the next two weeks, we're going to follow a group of people who had the absolute opposite Desire and impulse of our penguin friend. These were people who were different from all those around them because they had trusted Jesus Christ, but they wanted, still wanted to be like everybody else. I mean, just imagine a yellow penguin singing, I gotta fit in, I just gotta fit in. That was the case for the believers in first century Corinth to whom the Apostle Paul wrote two of his letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Two New Testament letters. In fairness, the believers in Corinth had a pretty difficult life. I mean, they were in a harbor town. They were on an isthmus, which was a strip of land between two large bodies of water that connected other parts of land. So there's this four-mile stretch of, uh, of land... Not a whole lot to do in a large city. Over 250,000, which is a lot of people in the first century. And like all harbor towns, every kind of wonderful opportunity, educational, political, uh, business was in this town. But also every vice known to man was on open display and available in Corinth. It was a difficult place to be a Christian. It would be... Like you were in New Orleans or, or San Francisco or Las Vegas. And notice two out of those three are close to a large body of water. Uh, it, it was a difficult road to hoe, so to speak, for the Corinthians. Corinth was a morally debauched city. And so Christians would naturally be... Quite conspicuous. Anything different, anything that, that, that indicated this is a preferred lifestyle to what you're living was not appreciated by the people and the citizens who inhabited this Greek metropolis. I mean, who wants to stick out in a crowd when everybody else is opposed to the way that you're living? Not the believers in Corinth, that's for sure. I mean, they were followers of Jesus, but they hated being hated. So, they did their best to exercise their faith in ways that allowed them to live in step with the culture. Once again, that sounds a lot like Christians in our day doesn't it? Paul's letter called them out, though, in essence, saying, look, the Christian life is countercultural. You're not a part of this world. You never will be. If you follow Jesus, He's going in the opposite direction. And He's going right up the middle of the road in the opposite direction. And there's going to be jostling and people are going to be upset with you living the way that you live. You are called to live in community. Corinthians, with one another in such a way that people are going to take note. And because of the love that you have inside your body, they will be attracted to Jesus. There will be plenty of people for for sure that oppose you. But not everyone will. Some will see and want to have what you have. Live like you belong to Jesus. Jesus. If you were here for the very first time, it's going to help for you to know that we're close to finishing up a a series in our church. It's a year-long series titled A Place in the Family, which is a series about life in the church, in Jesus' church, the body of Christ. Primarily the local church, but also the, the, the worldwide church. If you're a freshman here at Campbell or any other university, if you're just going out, being away from home for the first time, or having more independence, even if you're living at home for the first time, I want to encourage you to plug into a church. Plug in somewhere to this community to which you have been called. If you are a follower of Jesus, God has called you to to live life with other believers. Um, So if you are going to check out another church, I would encourage you to, to be in a church where... They believe in and promote the authority of Scripture. But I would encourage you, especially if you're a freshman at Campbell or if you're just a first-year med school student, whatever your status is, and you're just coming here checking us out, you may want to wait until after the church potluck next Sunday, which will be immediately after the service. Then you can go somewhere else. But we have some really good cooks. And if you try to take the banana pudding ahead of me, you will see the fleshly side of. Well, it probably won't take that for you to see the fleshly side of the pastor. The title of, the, of today's message is The Upside Down Family Values of the Kingdom. Couldn't say kingdom values, but since it's a series on the family. Look, the, the values that we embrace, that we espouse are different from the world and it is increasingly difficult see for years in our country the world tried to tried to get in step with the church now the world is pointing out the church and saying what is wrong with you people and many in the church are, are but no look that dance was never going to work It just doesn't. We have to live in the world, and we have to be careful. In in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about church discipline. It's close to the end of this series. We're going to talk about what happens when family members go astray. And part of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, the text we'll be using, is... Look, I'm telling you, don't associate with sexually immoral people. And, and, and swindlers and greedy and all of this. But he said, but, but not people who are in the world. I'm talking about someone who claims to be a brother or sister in Christ. When they walk in this way, you do what you can. But then the community has to stay clean. It just has to. But you, you would have to go out of the world if you weren't going to associate with people. So, this is not a call to, to live in isolation in an enclave in which we're separate from everybody else. But it is a call for us to live and love, live with and love one another deeply enough that we're able to say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I'm, I'm concerned here. You need to bring it back, Come, get back to where you know this is not an easy life. Because the world thinks we're crazy. We're going to talk about that in this text. But we're in this together. So let's walk together. Well, uh, this morning we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 25. But as is so often the case, we need to... Uh, read the first nine verses of this chapter to bring a little bit of context. Our our custom is to stand, and we're going to do that in just a moment. But as we read these first nine verses, just remain seated, and then we'll stand together to read the rest. Verse 1, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Paul, called by the will of God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. In other words, Sosthenes had a hand in writing this letter. Or maybe he just, Paul is just tacking his name on. But I bet you'd get that wrong in, the, in a trivia question. Who was Sosthenes? I don't know. Well, he was a, one of the writers of Scripture. The letter that became Scripture. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Stop right there. This church had unbelievable problems. There was behavior happening that Paul said doesn't even happen in the world. It's so, it, it's so perverse. Problems everywhere. And yet, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified In Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place, everywhere, the whole church, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He's talking about their position as followers of Jesus. Those who have believed Jesus died for them, then they are now sanctified. They're saints. They're saints. We think of saints as a designate or saint as a designation for a really holy person, but anyone who has trusted Christ has been designated saint by the Lord, called to be that, sanctified. They're growing. They had a long way to go before their behavior matched their position, though, to which Paul is going to get to very quickly. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give, you, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. you there was this radical change in your lives. And now you're slipping back and Paul is trying to hold him From going too far backwards. And then in verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing about that. Guiltless we stand before the throne. You may think how difficult it is to live as God has called us to live. If you have trusted Jesus, one day you will stand Perfectly clean, whole, holy, guiltless before the Lord. This is great news for the people that he is getting, he's writing this letter to because much of the rest of the letter is pretty sharp in tone. It's difficult. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. Now if you would please stand as we read our text for today. <clears throat> I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you are united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to be by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, who... Was Peter? It's another name for Peter. Or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning Seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's pray. Our Father, we would acknowledge... That the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Just, just another way of saying you're right. You're always right. There's nothing foolish or unwise about you. And yet, Lord, as we live this life, there is much that is foolish and unwise about the ways that we want to live. Thank you that in the spirit of God in Jesus as your word is revealed to us we can indeed yield our lives to you and let Jesus live through us. So today may we take admonishment and encouragement from this passage that calls us to be the church to live In your wisdom. And in your direction. With the cross at the center of our hearts and minds. And it's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. You know. Much of what Paul says in this text. Is straight information. But it's clear. He's making a point. That he expects the Corinthians to understand and then to live in a particular way based on the information that he's given them. So there are three ways. And and, and by the way, whenever, whenever God speaks to a particular group in a particular setting, he does speak by extension to us through his word. And he's calling us to heed what is being said about man and about God and about man's ways and God's ways. Three ways uh, we want to apply God's word to our hearts and minds this morning. The first of which is we are to pursue unity, not uniformity in family life. There was more than a little dissension in Corinth. There was a group of people that did not always get along. The divisions weren't about the color of the carpet or the hiring of a particular staff member or this ministry or that program. Uh, the divisions weren't even doctrinal per se, not originally anyway. But they were based on personality preferences. Paul chastised the Corinthians for lining up behind preachers, uh, even though none of the preachers that... that that these people were following, were ministering in Corinth at the time, unless perhaps it was Apollos. It's doubtful that Apollos was there when Paul wrote this. There was a group that followed Paul. This was a group that never got over the preacher that introduced them to Christ. Uh, every pastor who comes into a church that is established and has had other pastors before him knows about this group of people. Well, when Pastor Smith was here, he used to finish on time on Sunday mornings. Just let me just tell you, I ain't Pastor Smith, okay? I'm kidding. Uh, Or he had some fire in his sermons. And even as flattering as that might have been to Paul, he wasn't having anything of it. He didn't want people to follow him. He wanted people to follow Jesus. Then there was the, the group that followed Apollos. And if you ever heard Apollos speak, you would know why people followed him. He was intelligent, passionate, and eloquent. Most appreciated Paul. But look, if you heard Apollos speak, you would know that God is calling us to be radical. You would understand. God wants more out of us than these other guys are telling you that God wants out of us. And then there was Peter. Or Cephas. Most likely the Jewish believers lined up behind Peter. Peter on occasion struggled with uh, how closely tied him out of the law. How? So this was a rather legalistic group. And they were tempted to look down their noses at the other believers. But they had nothing on the final group. I mean nothing on the final group, which was the Christ party. These men and women would say, we don't follow men, we follow Christ. But they were rather snooty when they said it. We would not stoop to following mortal men. We don't need humans to lead us. We're so spiritual. We just need Jesus. And those in this party would receive a word from the Lord about the way the church should go. So why did they need apostles or eloquent speakers? And the groups had divided up. Everybody had... A leader that they followed, even if the leader was absent. It's even better to follow a leader when he's not around. You know, because then you can make the leader say what you want to say. Thankfully, this kind of division only lasted in the church for, uh, I don't know, maybe 2,000 years. I mean, you see it in the contemporary churches when some of the members of the local church feel like, we need to follow the teachings of Tim Keller. And others say, no, 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 Charles Stanley, he's the man. Or... or or, or David Platt or or Michael Horton and and some don't even need to hear from other preachers just give me the Bible let me figure it out because the spirit I've got the same spirit you have we don't need that we just need Jesus but that could never happen here except of course that it can easily happen if we pursue uniformity over unity See, I want you to be just like me. Because my way is God's way. Not God's way is my way, but my way is God's way and I th- let's get on with it. In addition to the personality differences of the people the Corinthians followed, th- there were some theological emphases associated with each group and, and even more. I mean, one grace was this, one, one group was the salvation by grace group. And one group was the show me that you're saved by your works group. And then there was the tribulation and rapture group and the predestination group. And it was everybody emphasizing the thing that mattered the most to him or her. And it's not that any of these truths were heretical outside of orthodoxy. But in so emphasizing one belief, they were... Tearing the church apart. Their argumentative spirit was tearing the church apart. And to tear the church apart is to do damage to Christ's body. Because that's who we are. While the doctrinal positions were not heretical in themselves. Think about this now. It caused the various groups to go to extremes. Which in turn led to heresy. Every time you turn the page in 1 Corinthians, divisions pop up. Look, they took one another to court over personal matters. They, they divided into haves and have-nots. They elevated the spiritual, one spiritual gift above another. They, they, they attached material wealth with spiritual blessings by God. So consequently, they divided during communion. And on and on the divisions went. In 1 Corinthians 3, at the very first of the chapter, Paul said that these divisions are an indication of fleshly and spiritually immature impulses. But then, when you get to 1 Corinthians 11, 19 to be exact, when he spoke of factions, the word for factions, he used a Greek word, heresies, from which we get our English word, heresy. You see how that works? I'm following this dude. I'm following that dude. I'm following the man himself, Jesus Christ. And eventually, you get to the place where to prove your point, to make your point, you've slipped over into a very unhealthy place, not only personally, but doctrinally. Paul admonished the believers to live in harmony according to God's design. Uniformity where everyone is exactly the same is not the goal. And we already know from 1 Corinthians 1 and then we see it in 12 to 14 that every spiritual gift was represented. And some wanted to say, well, my gift's better than your gift. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Look, We need the elbow, we need the knee, we need the big toe, we need the ears, we need it all. We need the whole body functioning together, not in opposition to itself. And so much of our opposition to others is indeed opposition to ourselves, although we don't see it. From the structure of Paul's address to the Corinthians, the way he, 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 he lays this out in 1 Corinthians 1, it's pretty clear to say he's saying, you know what? You guys need to hang together. You know why? Because you're going to need to be together. The world is coming with you with everything it's got. If you believe the gospel which is centered on Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, there is going to be opposition to you. You need one another more than you know. Which leads to our second point. Focus your heart on the truth of Jesus' cross. In verse 18, Paul said, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We will talk about what it means to stand alone against those who despise the message of the cross in the last point. But for now, our focus, let's just think about Jesus, about focusing our heart on the truth of Jesus' cross. What is the message of the cross? When he talks about the word of the cross, he's talking about the preaching of the cross or the message of the cross. Paul elevates the, the ministry of preaching the word, and he says it's by this. In Romans ten, we very well may be looking at it in a few weeks. It's it's the preaching of the of the cross of the gospel by which men believe, men and women believe and are saved. But someone has to send the preachers, and the preaching is not just what happens up here on Sunday morning. It's anytime you talk to someone and share the message. Of Christ. Again, I've said it before, let me say that's why, students, if you land somewhere else, make sure that you're in a church that preaches the full message about Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. But you have to know this that the truth of the cross flies in the face of all worldly reasoning and, and all of the wisdom of man. Just think about it. Okay, let's, let's get, get our heads around this. God came to earth as a baby. He was born as a baby. A peasant at that. And everybody knows in that day. Peasants. E- e- even if a, a peasant rose to lead a nation, he would be considered illegitimate or, illegitimate or tolerated. Let's just tolerate this person. So Jesus is a peasant. He grows up learning the trade of carpentry, and as a man, you would expect he became a carpenter. So, somewhere around age 30, he starts debating the Jewish religious leaders and he's challenging them about their relationship and their understanding of their God, Yahweh. Not only does Jesus claim to speak for Yahweh, he claims to be Yahweh. He says, I'm God. Now, if it had been my dad, he would have said, how do you like them apples? Jesus didn't say that, but sometimes he almost did. He almost put it in their face. I am God, and you're missing it. You, on the other hand, are the children of the devil. Well, this didn't sit too well with the leaders. And Rome agreed with the Jewish leaders that Jesus was a subversive. And so they assigned him to die. One of the cruelest and miserably agonizing, imaginable executions. It was reserved for the vilest of criminals. It was so bad. The pain was so intense. And the humiliation that we've added a word to our dictionary to explain crucifixion. Excruciating it was excruciating for Jesus to die like that on every level imaginable. Some king, some messiah. And wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know that that, that people can't just let it die there. Some people have said that he was resurrected, he rose from the dead. But, conveniently, it was only the people who believe in him. Now, in contrast to the message of the cross, the wisdom of this world is eloquent, verse 17, and clever, verse 19. The wisdom of the world appeals to all of those who hear, while well, frankly, the cross, shame, humiliation, difficulty, mocking endured by Everybody who looks at the cross. The cross doesn't make any sense at all to the world. It is in fact an offense to the world. But to those of us who believe, it makes perfect sense. And it's so powerful that we have no choice but to believe Jesus changed our lives. And you may think that it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. And the moment you believe though... All of a sudden, not only does it begin to make sense, but eventually, it will be brilliant beyond your imagination and comprehension. It, it, the cross is one or the other. Second Corinthians 5.21. David talked about choosing the songs over and over and over this morning. I said, yep, that's in the message. Yep, that's in the message. Yep, that's in the message. From the songs that we sang this morning that were written as men and women reflected on the beauty of God's plan, which has the cross right at the center. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that when, when God the Father made Jesus, or God, not when, God the Father made Jesus to become sin for us so that when God looks at us, He can see Jesus. We become His righteousness. That's not, not exact word for word, but it it, it gets the idea of Of the verse, it captures the meaning. When Jesus died on the cross, all of my sin was upon him. And the Father poured out on Jesus the wrath, the wrath, his righteous wrath towards sin that my sins deserved. And Jesus took it instead of me. It was an amazing exchange my sin for Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' righteousness for my sin. Jesus identified with me. Now, think about this. Jesus identified with me. When he was baptized, he went in those waters that were polluted with the sins of all the people who had repented. And John said, no, don't, no, John the Baptist, no, Jesus, don't. Jesus said, no, this is for righteousness. This is what has to be done. This is the Father's plan. Jesus was baptized, and you notice I did that. That's what I believe, you know about baptism, but that's one of those that churches fight over and, and and divide over. You can have a position, but don't look at somebody else and say you're wrong. You're a heretic in the way baptism is one of those. So Jesus identified with me in baptism. He identified with me on the cross because my sins were upon him. And positionally, when I believe. I am automatically associated with Jesus' death on the cross. I am automatically associated with Jesus. Not that I did anything to pay for my sins. He paid it all. The question is, though, practically, will I identify with the cross of Jesus? That's the last point. Embrace the foolishness and shame Associated with the preaching of the cross. Positionally we're already there. But we're called to identify with Jesus cross practically as well. We are to accept. That whatever God says is sin. Is indeed sin. We cannot explain it away. Because we're more enlightened. You think. We are more enlightened than the first century Greeks. Not cl- no, we're not. Now, technology has brought us to a far different place. We have a lot more knowledge accessible in our day, but these guys were, were pretty bright. And we and Paulus, in the face of that culture that accepted all kinds of sin and Lifestyle choices. He said, no, this is wrong. You can't do that. Love people always. Love one another. Love those outside the body always. Accept what God calls sin as okay. No, you can't do that. We're not allowed to do that. We're called to bear our cross, which means partly believing God's word and proclaiming it as we find it. This, of course, flies in the face of the notion that we are inherently good people and we're capable of earning God's favor and respect and love. In the first century, one would not speak of crucifixion in polite company. And so to say that Jesus came to be crucified, that that was a part of the Father's plan, was utterly ridiculous to Jews and Gentiles alike. Really? That's what you got? That's all you got? Jesus died on a cross? The cross was a shameful way to die. And those who believed that Jesus died for them were just as ridiculous as he was. Now in our day, people look more favorably on Jesus because the cross has been sanitized. In fact, you know, some of you wear jewelry, not opposed to it at all. cross was the way that that Christians identified with one another in those days. That was when you you hear about the sign of the fish. But the cross was also another way that people would let others know, I belong to Jesus. They gladly embraced the symbol of the cross. So it's not wrong, but just think about how sanitized the cross has become. But, to say that the crucifixion of Jesus only has meaning to those who believe that He died for them and in fact would have no hope of standing before God righteously apart from Jesus' death on the cross is considered just as ridiculous in the eyes of the world as it was in the first century. Those who say that Jesus is the only way to God are widely believed to be narrow-minded. They are, in fact, bigots. They're mean-spirited. You might even say that they're stupid. Although some might seem fairly intelligent. Their acts are shameful and they're not only hurting themselves, but they're a menace to society. You know when that's been said about Christians... Two thousand years, the same amount of time that the division has been going on in the church. Why 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 are we working against ourselves? When you believe that Jesus died for you to save you, it's difficult to understand how is this bad news to the world? Well, you're calling me a sinner. Yeah, I'm calling myself a sinner. I'm the chief of sinners. I, I am. Uh, but wait a minute. I'm religious or I'm philosophical or I'm intelligent or I'm a good old boy or I'm whatever. And you're telling me that without Jesus, my eternal destiny is hell? It would be nice if we could... Keep most of scripture intact, but just just kind of put aside the parts that we don't like and say there's an explanation for that. And there is an explanation for some things that are, are very direct, and you say, wow, that's harsh. And you say, well, let me help you understand this in context. But there's no way you can scrub the stuff that we don't, that's not easy in our culture, and say, this is God's word. We just can't do it. I wish we could. I wish it. There are so many things that are difficult for me as a pastor to talk about. And it's one of the reasons that it's good to go right through Scripture. As we will begin in Hebrews in a few weeks. Because Scripture forces you to talk about things that are not easy to talk about. Things you don't want to talk about. If it's there, you've got to not only preach it, but we're called to believe it. But if we, can, if we can sanitize Scripture, if we can scrub it, of, just get rid of the stuff about, about hell and about Jesus being the only way and about certain sins that we don't like to talk about being sin, then we can all feel good about who we are and we can all know in the end that everyone will be safe. Except that's a problem. Because there are some people that really don't deserve to go to heaven. I mean, they've been that bad But most of us are okay. Certainly I'm okay. Being a disciple of Jesus is not easy. But following Jesus closely is the only place you're ever going to find the peace and the purpose and and the meaning and the joy that is so elusive in our world today. Look, when you're living in sin... It is fun for a while. But in the same way, we cannot get away from a sense of justice or desire for justice because God put it in us, we're made in the image of God. It's also true that we cannot get away from our conscience. We're made in the image of God. And if you've never even heard the name Jesus, you know that there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And living any way you want is great for a while. But it never ends there. And so I think most disciples would agree that it's difficult to promote a belief that is considered shameful by many in the world today, by most in the world today. And yet Jesus said... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So, it comes down to this. Believer, those of you who know Jesus as your Savior, and if you don't, always, always the invitation is to believe. Believe that Jesus died. Repent of your sins. Say, God, I acknowledge that I'm... I'm a sinner and I am in desperate need of you. And believe that when Jesus died on the cross, He was dying for you. When the Father turned His back on Him and Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because your sin required the Father to turn away. He could not look on favor. Jesus took your place. If you are a believer, are you willing to be identified with the shame that is associated with Jesus' cross? Or is the cost just too great? I'm sure that you would like to be able to follow Jesus and still live your life in such a way that's not going to cause anybody to be upset with you. I I can't say I'm sure. We've all got different personalities. I know I would like to live that way. I'd love to just say this is the truth, and nobody be upset with me. Nobody take shots at me. Nobody talk. I I don't like that, but we don't get that choice. I've just started reading again, Lord of the Rings. And I love that line because I need to hear it. I say I love the line. It's just like, oh boy, this is hard, but I need it. When Gandalf tells Frodo about the danger that is ahead, and Frodo says, oh, I wish it need not have happened in my time. Gandalf said, don't we all? But we don't get that choice. The choice we get is what we will do with the time we're given. The time in which... We are placed. What are we going to do? What are you going to do, follower of Jesus Christ? It's left for you to decide, freshmen and other students, and upperclassmen and grad students at Campbell, at CCCC, NC State, Wake Tech, Fordham University. What are you going to do with God's call for you to take up your cross? And follow Him. But you just don't understand. Don't need to understand. This is the call. It's left for you to decide, mechanic and lawyer. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, middle school Christian? What are you going to do, senior citizen, whose children and and grandchildren think that your views are just too extreme and too old-fashioned and you just don't get it? It's left for you to decide, doctor and fast food worker. See, none of those designations matter if you're a Christian. None of it matters. What matters is, I follow Jesus. And what matters is, will you take up your cross and follow him? In Galatians 6.14, the Apostle Paul says, But be it far from me. To boast, although he had much about which he could boast. Be it far from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I (laughs) to the world. See, to the world, this is ridiculous. But to the disciple of Jesus, this is gold. So I want to take just a moment. As the worship team comes, I want you to just absorb the truth of this verse. Just sit with it for a moment. And then if you're willing, turn it into a prayer. And let me say, Lord, what sounds so foolish to the world, I boast, I glory In the cross of Christ. Which is so different from anything the world glories in. I take my stand with you Jesus. And I take up my cross. And follow you. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we want to fit in. And even when we have the personality that is willing to take a stand and be alone in our stand, it's hard, it's difficult. We have a beautiful example in Jesus willing to go to the cross. But it was far more than example. It bought our redemption. It made the way for us to be rightly related to you, Father. And may your spirit strengthen us. And cause us to say yes to the cross. Yes to Jesus. In his name we pray, Amen. Benediction this morning is from the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the Great Shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said.